Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciple during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and returned to God. So he got it from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his neck, and poured the water into the basin. He then began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not understand what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him, and that is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I am your Lord and your teacher, I have washed your feet. You ought to wash wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. I can't. I can't, and I won't. If it makes you think less of me, fine, then think what you will. You're just like the rest of them, blinded by a few well-chosen gestures and some carefully worded platitudes. Drunk on the wonder of it all, you believe like I believed. And you always believed, because you want to believe. It doesn't matter what he says anymore. It doesn't matter if he lives or that he dies. You've made up your mind. Even if he dies, you convince yourself that some way, that somehow that he's the savior. Oh, I know. I know the phrase, he'll come again. I gave him everything. I gave it all. I've been with him from the beginning. I ate and I slept and I walked those dingy roads with those fish-wrecking Galileans. If you want that, it didn't hurt. They loved him. I, I don't know how many times he had them, thousands of them, eating out of the palms of his hands. Yeah, literally. They wanted they begged him to be king more times than I can count, and they meant it. They had followed him just like I did. But no, not him. 
My kingdom is now the world, he says. A man who can walk on water for crying out loud. And all he wants to do is talk about going the second mile. A man with ideas. A man that can hold people spellbound with his voice. And not just the rabble either. The Pharisees, the wealthy men, the powerful men, the centurions for God's sake. And all he wants to do, all he wants to do is wash their feet. Washing feet and telling us that we, we, ought to, we ought to wash each other's. Well, this son of Abraham didn't buy it. I didn't spend the best of my years of washing feet and dirty toes and fishing for men and carrying a cross. That's always been his weakness, you know. Death. No, 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 no. He, he's not afraid of it. I've never seen a man more fearless, not just brave, fearless. But it's like, it's like, you know, I, I don't know, he's, he's preoccupied with it. Always talking about how a man has to give up his life to find it. That how he has to die to live, to sacrifice, to surrender, to self-denial. And I am tired of it. There's no irony for you. Finally, a man who can raise the dead. And all he wants to do is die. Well, I don't want to die. I want to live. I want to indulge in my passions. I want to fight for my rights. I want to know the feel, the power. I want to step aside when I walk into the room. Everyone just looks. I don't want to spend my whole life figuring out how to help the poor lost souls who won't or can't help themselves. I don't want to be ashamed of my money or my ambitions or my thoughts or my pride. I am not. I am not going to wash anybody's feet. He needed someone like me. You know, I could have helped him. I could have made him somebody. Maybe a king, maybe even a messiah, but he wants to be a servant. I serve myself. I like the pay and I like the hours, but I will not, I will not wash anybody's feet. I am not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones that I have chosen, but this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food has turned against me. I will tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth. Anyone who welcomes my, mes my messenger is welcoming me. And anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the father who sent me. Now Jesus was deeply troubled and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering who could he mean? The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, who is he talking about? So that disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus responded, it is the one who I give the bread that I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he had gave it to Judas. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. 
And then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you are going to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus had meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought that Jesus was telling him to go pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, going out into the night. Then he poured some water into a wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with the towel around his waist. He came to Simon Peter. Are you going to wash my feet, Lord? You do not understand now what I am doing, but you will understand later. Never at any time will you wash my feet. If I do not wash your feet, you will no longer be my disciple. Lord, do not wash only my feet then. Wash my hands and head too. Those who have taken a bath are completely clean and do not need to wash themselves, except for their feet. All of you are clean. All except one. Jesus already knew who was going to betray him. That is why he said, all of you except one are clean. After Jesus had washed their feet, he put his outer garment back on and returned to his place at the table. Do you understand what I've just done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and it is right that you should do so because that is what I am. I, your Lord and teacher, have just washed your feet. You then should wash one another's feet. I have set an example for you, so that you will do just what I have done for you. I am telling you the truth. No slaves are greater than their master, and no messengers are greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know this truth, how happy you will be if you put it into practice. What the world needs today is a Jesus kind of love. And by the way, don't think that uh, <clears throat> Felix has left the faith. He was just acting, all right? <laughs> Ooh, he got into character there, didn't he? All right. Um, yeah, what the world needs today is a Jesus kind of love. Uh, most of you were, were not alive, but you might be familiar with this, uh, with this song. Have you ever heard that uh, Phil Collins song called A Groovy Kind of Love? That's what kept going through my mind when I, when I made the title of this, uh, of this message, except instead of a groovy kind of love, substitute a Jesus kind of love. It doesn't work for all the lyrics, by the way. I listened to it again for the first time, and I looked at the lyrics, and I was like, no, that doesn't really work. But the idea of a Jesus kind of love, that's what the world needs. So 
if the world is going to get the Jesus kind of love, then the people in the world, beginning with you and I, have to receive his love. Um, we see Jesus and the kind of love that he offers in the upper room. Um, you heard it read on the stage. You saw a little bit from the movie. Um, the disciples were gathered together and their um, most often discussed and debated topic was who among them was the greatest. Wow, these, these guys had some egos on them, right? And Jesus kept having to tell them, listen, if you want to be the greatest, you need to be the servant of all. If you want to be the greatest, you need to become like a, a, you know, a little child. And it just didn't get through their heads. So what Jesus did, and um, I didn't do the entire scene um, in uh, this Gospel of John movie because it really gets very, very um, honest. Jesus took off his outer garment, right? All he's wearing is essentially a loincloth. And then he puts this towel around his waist and he washes their feet from the towel around his waist. That's humiliating. That's what slaves did. But see, none of these disciples, these big-headed, pig-headed disciples, at least at this point, until they go through the crucifixion of Jesus, none of them were willing to do this. You and I wear shoes, okay? And we probably wear socks. I remember I went through a period of time back in the 80s um, when Miami Vice was on television. Anybody ever remember that show? Right, so Don Johnson was like the real cool guy, and he always wore these uh, these kind of linen jackets with a you know no no collar, just kind of like a t-shirt, and the jacket was pulled up on his forearms, and you know he wore these you know these pants that kind of came up his ankles, and he always wore shoes without socks. So we were all trying to be cool and wear our shoes without socks. Have you ever worn your shoes without socks for any period of time? Woo, they start smelling bad. You know, well, this is what happens, right? When our feet are not protected like we do today. These people walked around on dirty streets. I mean, you know, um, dusty streets in open-toed sandals. And then when they sat at the table to eat together, they didn't sit under a table. If you ever saw the Passion of the Christ, they did a little bit on this where Jesus is a carpenter and he's building uh, a table that rich people would sit under, right? What they did is they reclined at the table, which meant that their body was leaning on the table right here where they would eat and their feet were kicked out behind them like this. All of those dirty, dirty feet and nobody in the disciple band was willing. They didn't have slaves, obviously, but nobody in the disciple band was willing to serve and wash the other disciple. They wouldn't do it. It was beneath them. Your pride gets in the way. That's why I, I love the piece uh, that Felix performed because it's, it's just how we feel in the natural. People don't want to wash each other's feet. When I was a young person, a teenager, my youth minister, super cool guy, his name was Don Mapes. He was my first youth minister. And uh, we were at camp one time. And he said, you know, we don't wash each other's feet today. And we don't wash feet today, but we wash our hands. And we do wash our hands, right? You do wash your hands, right? 
Oh, we all learned that, you know, during the pandemic, wash your hands. Now, is anybody else like me? I cannot walk past one of those, uh, those little plunger deals, you know, with the, the, you know, the hand sanitizer on it without plunging it and washing my hands. Are you, are you do that? I mean, it's constant, right? And I wasn't one of those extreme people freaking out during the pandemic, but man, I've just gotten used to that. And I'm like, yeah, you know, oh, hey, I'm going to sanitize my hands again. Well, back to my youth minister, we're at camp and uh, he said, you know, we don't wash each other's feet anymore, but we wash hands. And so then he went around and he washed our hands and it was so moving. Okay, there you go. Yeah, this is still on, so you can't unmute it or it'll cause all kinds of ruckus. Um, it really was very moving. So I can imagine now, there are churches, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but there are churches, there's one denomination called Primitive Baptists. There's not many of them around, but they wash feet. It's one of the things that they do. They, they do the Lord's Supper, they do baptism, and they do foot washing. Sometimes they're called old foot washing Baptists. So there are churches that do that, that actually do that. But I believe that Jesus was trying to make a point that went beyond that ceremony in the first century. He was saying, you need to be willing to serve. You need to be willing to get on the lowest level and serve. And you know, that's not what any of us want to do, at least in the natural. And if you do, then you're very unlike me. So the first thing we need to do if we're going to have a Jesus kind of love is we've got to receive his love. Jesus came to Peter, right? He was going to wash his feet. And Peter was like, you're not going to wash my feet. And then Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part in me. So then Peter was like, okay, well, give me a shower then. You know, I'm, I'm all in. I want, I want to be, I want to be everything. I want to be in your disciple band. I want to be in your family. I want to be your friend. I want to be all of that. And Jesus said, no, you're clean. And he was talking about the fact that when he spoke the word of truth to them and they received it, it made them clean. He said, though, not every one of you is clean because just like I'm sure in this group and I'm not you know, casting any sort of dispersion or disrespecting anybody in particular, and I have no one in mind. But in a room this size, if in Jesus' 12 most dedicated disciples, there was one Judas, I guarantee you there might be one in this room. And there might be one listening. And you know, we can play Judas off like he was like a super evil guy, but he really wasn't. He was just a natural guy. He was just a selfish guy. He was a prideful man. He kept the disciples' money, and we find that he was actually stealing from the money. When we looked last week at the fact that Mary washed Jesus' feet, uh, she washed his feet with her hair and with perfume, right? Um, Judas was the one that objected. He said, what? Why is she doing that? That, that's some really expensive ointment. That could have been sold for a year's wages, Man, that's a lot of money. And she just poured it out on Jesus because she loved him and she worshiped him, okay? And then John makes the comment in his gospel that Judas just said that, not because he cared about the poor, but because it would make more money that he could take from, that he could steal from the disciples' money box. So, you know, I, I hope there's nobody like that. But the reality is there may be somebody that is really, you don't believe all this stuff. You're like, yeah, well, whatever. That's just, it's, that's an old story. 
Or you're like, yeah, but I'm not going to be like that. You're like the guy that, you know, got up here that Felix uh, was performing to be, okay? Um, Well, you've got to receive Jesus' love before your heart is transformed. That's why Peter had to be willing to let Jesus wash his feet. You're not going to be like Jesus without Jesus. You get that, right? You're not going to be the perfect human being that God wants you to be apart from his transforming power coming into you. We're all selfish. You know, the, the debate has raged among sociologists and psychologists for uh, many generations. Are human beings fundamentally evil or are human beings fundamentally good? Philosopher Thomas Hobbes thought that apart from the structure of society and law, human beings are going to be destructive and evil. He said without the law, without the control of laws and the enforcement of laws, then life for human beings, as Hobbes said, is nasty, brutish, and short. Yes, indeed. And you have uh, other individuals uh, who thought that human beings were, you know, essentially like that. Freud, to a great degree, thought human beings were, were essentially very selfish and, and, and evil. But then, during the Enlightenment, you have a few folks that come out, like Jean-Jacques Rousseau, that said, no, it is society that ruins human beings. We're, we're uh, natively, naturally good. So are human beings naturally bad? Or are human beings naturally good? I stand right here in the middle and I say, yes. Would you agree? Here's what we naturally are. We're naturally selfish. And we can be moved at times to be unselfish. And some people are willing to be more unselfish than others. But fundamentally, What you and I are in a fallen world is selfish. We have to be transformed. Our hearts have to be changed by this higher love that comes from Jesus, okay? So you've got to receive Jesus' love if you're going to give this kind of love. The world needs a Jesus kind of love, and that starts with you. Will you receive this love that he offers? He comes to wash your feet. Will you receive that? He died on the cross for your sins. Will you receive that death as your death? If you do, then that resurrection becomes your resurrection and your hope for eternal life, all right? Jesus' love, first and fundamentally, is sacrificial, and that is proven by his death on the cross for you and me. It's also really proven in smaller ways, like him washing people's He was willing to sacrifice his pride. Right? He told them, you know, I'm, I'm, you, you call me Lord and teacher, and you're right. That's what I am. Lord is a very high exalted title. I'm not calling anybody in this room Lord. I'm not calling anybody on earth Lord. Right? You can get, you know, King Charles of England. You can get the president of the United States. I ain't calling them Lord because they're not. However, there is one Lord. Amen? And I will call him Lord. Jesus said, you call me teacher, not just a teacher, you know, like my second grade teacher or, you know, my 10th grade teacher or my favorite professor in college. No, the teacher, 
the one that teaches us the way we're supposed to live our lives, the one who teaches us the way things are supposed to be. He said, you call me teacher and Lord. And you're right, that's what I am. So if I have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. So it starts off by us descending to the same level that Jesus did and emptying ourselves of our pride and being willing to serve. And that means being willing to serve without any gratitude coming from those that we serve, okay? Um, you know, there are people that serve behind the scenes in this church that you don't see. There are people that serve that you do see. I will tell you, was the band not wonderful this morning? I'm waiting for an amen. See, you take them for granted, right? That, you know, that song where Josh just pounds on those drums, the dude is anointed at the drums, man. He really is. You remember when Vernon was alive? Vernon used to get upset because the drums weren't coming through enough on his feed when he was watching on YouTube. He's like, I, don't, I can't hear the drums. So like, we got to bump the drums up on the feed, all right? So these guys are anointed, but they practice. They work hard at what they do. There's a lot of other things that go on behind the scenes. How do you guys like these new flower arrangements up here? I didn't do them. This wonderful lady right back here did them. Miss Rose has got a knack for this stuff. This is beautiful. It's a little feminine, but it's beautiful. <laughs> And then the other flowers that we had up here since Easter, that was Rachel. I mean, I'm not doing, well, I did the daisies back there in the back. Y'all probably didn't even notice that when they were back there. Doggone. But this is the thing, okay? These people don't do this for credit. They don't do this so that you'll applaud them. They do it because they love to do it. They do it to serve the Lord, all right? We've got to descend outside of ourselves. We've got to be willing to serve. And that's what Jesus did. So his love is, first of all, sacrificial. For you, uh, that might mean giving up something, giving up a day to help someone move. I know someone in this room that helps someone else in this room, giving up a day to help that person move, okay? Um, but for Jesus, it meant giving up his life. And in fact, that's what the scripture says. This is love that a man laid down his life for his friends, right? Uh, and it says also again in 1 John, it's not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God proves his love toward you and I in that sacrifice on the cross. That's a transforming sacrifice. So we receive Jesus' sacrificial love, all right? Jesus' love is sacrificial. And next uh, is, uh, yes, and next Jesus' love is practical as proven by his willingness to serve. He was always willing to serve, okay? The, the son of man, uh, the scripture says, came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came out to seek and to save dirty sheep. Jesus came to serve us. And that is the motivation for us to serve one another, right? So Jesus' love is sacrificial. Jesus' love is practical because he was willing to serve. Next, um, if we understand then that this is the definition of love, then we realize that love is not a feeling, but a commitment to act for the good of the beloved. The beloved just means the person you choose to love. Say love is a commitment to act in the best interest of the beloved. That's what love is. 
Now, there can be feelings attached to love, deep feelings of affection and appreciation uh, and, you know, if, you know if you, for your kids and so forth, maybe even a degree of adoration that's there. But those feelings, strictly speaking, are not love. We err if we uh, say that love is a feeling. Love is not a feeling. Love's a determination. Love is a commitment to act in the best interest of someone else, right? Um, I like this uh, from our same, I've been quoting from John all along, uh, almost, well, I would say most of the verses that I've quoted have come from 1 John, John's little letter. Here's another one from 1 John 3.18. He says, little children love, uh, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. So we don't just talk about it, right? In other words, love is not just, hey, I love you. Love you, mean it, see ya. That's not love. You know, when I was a kid, uh, my, uh, my dad had a pretty serious problem with, uh, with alcohol, and it co- caused my mom and my dad to be divorced when I was seven. But my dad would often say, I love you. But he didn't really show it. See, saying that doesn't mean anything unless you're willing to do something about it right? So that's what John is saying here, that we need to not just talk about it, we need to do something, right? Little children, I say to you, do not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth, all right? So now, the first thing you've got to do is receive Jesus' love. That's what you and I need to do. You're exposed to the gospel in this room, and it is incumbent upon you to receive that love. Then once you receive Jesus' love, You offer it to everyone else. That's where it gets difficult. That's why we need to be transformed. Um, I need to be willing to offer that to my family members. You know, I know you love your family, right? Don't you love your family? But sometimes they're the hardest people to love, aren't they? Right? You know, they know the most about you. You know the most about them. You get on each other's nerves. Sometimes you might not feel that same level of love. I was listening to this uh, lady comedian. I don't know why all these weird things get uh, recommended to me on YouTube, but uh, I do watch clean comedians, and she's a clean comedian. And she's probably in her early 50s, which I've never seen a lady comedian in her early 50s. She's a white lady with a really strong Southern accent. I'm only saying that because this is not what you would associate with a comedian, right? Uh, or a comedian, as they, as they used to say. But she's talking about her daughter. And she's talking about when her daughter got older, she said, she just mean. That's what she is. She just, she just got mean. And she said, this comedian, she said, and I know why this happened. The Lord made this so that it would happen this way. He said, because he knew that when it got to the point where she needs to move out, you know, my heart would be broken. And and she said, you know what? Now I'm just saying, get on out. Go on, get out. (laughs) You're just mean. Get out there and live on your own. All right. (laughs) So, uh, but in any event, I'm just saying, sometimes it's hard to love your family. We, We love our friends. But we kind of love our friends because they love us. So the love is sort of tainted with an element of selfishness that's there. We can love our colleagues, but that doesn't mean we feel affection for them. It just means we're willing to do what's best for them. We can even love our enemies, and that may be the most difficult. That's what Jesus said, love your enemies. Um, Now, if I'm going to 
have that kind of love, I've got to recognize that love for someone doesn't mean that I necessarily trust them. Do you understand this? Okay. Um, I can love someone that I just meet out on the street, but I am very unwise to trust them. I can do my best to help somebody, but that doesn't mean that I need to let them into my life or rely on them for anything because I don't know right? I got stopped by a lady, literally stopped by a lady walking down. I was walking down the breezeway over here uh, from our church down toward uh, Intrinsic. And you all know that I'm deaf in one ear. And so I hear this yelling going on behind me and I don't know what's going on. And then the, the lady's basically just chasing me down and she said, pastor, pastor, pastor. And so I like, you know, I turn around. <laughs> And I talked to this lady. And so she starts asking me all these questions, you know, uh, questions, moral questions and all these stuff. And then she notices my ring. And, you know, so I took it off and showed it to her and, and whatnot. And, um, you know, there, there's this, this interchange that's there, right? And this willingness to open up and be honest about certain issues. But see, I don't know this person. And I only use her as an example because I just happened to meet her yesterday, right? I... I wouldn't know whether I could trust this person or not because I don't know them. I haven't had the opportunity, but I'm responsible to be compassionate, to be considerate, and to have a commitment to act in their best interest. And we're going to look at that here in just a second, okay? Um, so Jesus is the model and the basis for this love. He said, love one another as I have loved you. Now, we didn't get quite that far in the text, but a few more verses down from where Autumn concluded, Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. So the old standard was love your neighbor how? Finish it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The problem with that standard is me. The problem with that standard is you. If I love my neighbor as myself and I'm too selfish, then I really am not going to be willing to do that. If I love my neighbor as myself and I really kind of hate myself and don't take care of myself, it's an imperfect standard. Do you see what I'm saying? Right? So, you know, uh, pop psychology back when I was growing up, and this made its way into the church, used to say, well, what that verse means, love your neighbor as yourself, is that you better love yourself because you can't love your neighbor until you love yourself, to which I have said for years, baloney. What I need is to receive Jesus' love. I need to know that he loves me. I need to know how much he loves me. I need to be willing to give that kind of love out because I don't love myself perfectly and if I love myself too much, then I'm going to be too selfish to love my neighbor as myself. So the old standard from the law is imperfect, just like the law is imperfect, because I'm imperfect and can't keep it. Jesus came to establish a new law, the law of love, and that's why he said a new command. The new command was not love each other. The new command was love each other, finish this one, as I have loved you. So that's why you need to receive Jesus' love first, in order to be willing and able to give that love out, right? Jesus' love may require sacrifice for others. You might have to sacrifice some money, sacrifice some time, sacrifice some comfort, right? But it's worth it. 
first of all, it's worth it because I am expressing the Jesus that is in me when I love others the way Jesus loves me, right? But secondly, um, Jesus is going to be the one, God is going to be the one that rewards me for having that kind of love. So uh, number seven, Jesus' love will, it may result in sacrifice, just like Jesus sacrificed for us, but Jesus' love will result in service, right? So I said Jesus' love is practical. He served the disciples. Jesus' love through you and I, if I offer Jesus' love to you, then it will result in service to others. And again, I quote this. uh, Here's the actual quote from John 13, 14. So if I, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also have, have to wash one another's feet. Now we get to these three ideas, consideration, compassion, and commitment. First, consideration. This is a civic virtue that is rapidly passing off the scene, okay? But consideration is really just the outflow of the golden rule. Quote the golden rule for me. Right? Love one another as I have loved you. That's, that's the golden rule. What, what, is, what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7? Do unto others as what? as you would have them do unto you. That's the golden rule. So see, you don't even need to know Jesus or believe in God or any of that to offer consideration. Consideration is just as simple as, how would I want to be treated? How do you want to be treated? This C comes back to love your neighbor as yourself. It comes back to you having the right view of yourself. How do I want to be treated? Then I'm going to treat other people that way. That's just basic consideration. This should be expressed often out on the street when you're driving. If you don't want people to cut you off, don't cut them off, right? If you don't want people to flip you off, what? Yeah, don't flip them off either. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. Um, coming from another religious tradition and, and a, a, a leader of the early part of the 20th century, Gandhi said, be the change you want to see. Quit pointing your finger at everybody else and expecting them to change. You need to change. You need to do this differently. Be the change. Amen? I know, that's Gandhi, but it's good. Right? And it's just another way of saying the golden rule. Okay? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Be the example. How do you want to be treated? Treat them that way. Right? Now, some people are not going to pay attention to that. They're not going to treat you the right way. But consideration, the basis of consideration is my willingness to apply the golden rule. Then there's compassion. So consideration is really kind of a, a mental exercise. I've got to put myself in the other person's shoes. Um, that's... Uh, you know, one of those things that uh, that causes me to to have to you know look at life from their perspective. Um, all right, so compassion means that I'm on a more emotional level. I need to try to feel for other people. I need to have sympathy or move further forward. I need to be willing to have empathy. See, the thing is, a lot of times we're so worn out, right? that we just don't want to get into all of that because it's a lot of emotional energy to expend if I got to feel for somebody else. I don't want to feel for you, right? I got enough feelings for, you know, for myself. It's exhausting to feel for you. But that's really what we need if we're going to love other people. We've got to think 
Okay, put ourselves in their in their shoes. Anybody ever read the the book To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee? Right, that's what Atticus told his uh, his little girl Scout. He said, "You need to get inside another person's skin, and you need to walk around." Well, that means you got to think. But the, then the feeling part of it is, why is this person reacting this way? And I can just react to their reaction and it's like fire and gasoline and it just flames up higher and higher. But compassion means I try to feel from their perspective. And then the last one is commitment. This is my commitment to act for their good. I don't just act on the basis of how I feel they feel, right? Because I may not be doing what is good for them. Somebody, you know, may have certain feelings about uh, issues that are destructive. Let's say someone is a, uh, they're a heroin addict, okay? And I can see that they're really, really in need of uh, that, uh, that drug, right? Uh, that's a particularly pernicious um, type of addiction because the body just wraps itself around that. So, being compassionate would sort of make me feel like I need to run out and get them some heroin so that they'll feel better. But is that what needs to happen? If I have a commitment to act in that person's best interest, then I'm going to try to get them some help so that they can get out of that situation, right? Not just do what they feel. So that's why the final C is commitment. And that commitment is a commitment to do what is best for them. So that means I've got to know the truth. I've got to be following Jesus so I'll know what good actually is. So if I'm doing all of this, what's the point? What's in it for me? Well, that's really not the question that love asks. However, if I'm going to give something, I have to have something to give. Would you agree? This is why you need to take care of yourself. This is why you need to, to work and earn. This is why you need to rest and do all of these things. Because if you don't have any money, if you don't have any time, and if your body is sick or you are physically worn out, how can you give anybody anything? You can't, right? Anybody flown on an airplane recently, on a commercial airliner recently? Okay. Um, so when they give the little speech about the, the oxygen masks dropping down, should the cabin lose pressure, um, oxygen mask will drop down. What do they always say to do if you have a child with you? Do you put it on the child first? No, because if you pass out, the child's going to die. You've got, this isn't, you know, an excuse to just be, you know, rip myself open and just be completely sacrificial and do nothing for myself. You have to have something to give. You have to have time. You have to have treasure. You have to have something to offer. So that means you're going to need to take care of yourself and take care of your needs in your family. We just have to be willing to say there is a point to this beyond me uh, building up my kingdom, building up my treasure chest and so forth. I want to be someone who has the ability to help and to love other people. Okay. So we trust God. I trust God to bless me. You trust God to bless you. That's what I'm going to get out of it. I don't expect the recipient of sacrificial love to bless me. So now I'm going to tell on myself again, because I, you know, this is, this is, this is my dashboard confessional right here. Um, you know, I'm not in a Catholic church and so I'm not, you know, going to confession every week, but 
Um, they have a brunch over here at the tavern that I get just about every Saturday. Uh, and uh, Miss Mary, I'm still doing it. I used to come over here and talk to Miss Mary for like an hour or so and then go over and get brunch over there. And I'm still going over there and doing that. So um, I had come back from the gym on Saturday morning and I parked my car in front of the tavern because there were no parking spaces over here. So when I got done eating brunch, I got out of my truck and I started my truck because I was like, okay, I'm going to see if I can park somewhere else because I don't want to take up all their parking spots. And I was sitting in my truck and, you know, the radio was going and, you know, I have a hearing problem anyway. And there was a couple that were sitting out at a table right here by the window. And all of a sudden this guy gets up and goes, hey, 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 just rude, man. Like, what in the world is wrong with this Karen over here? All right. He said, you're revving the engine. And he was just really mad. He's like hostile. Well, sure enough, my foot was on the accelerator. Well, I didn't know my foot was on the accelerator. I wasn't watching the RPMs and I couldn't hear the fact that I took my foot off the accelerator. And then I shut my car off. And then I got out of the car and I said, hey, fella, I said, you don't have to get all hostile and mean. I said, all you had to do was tell me. I said, I didn't know. Now, I was trying to tamp it down, but I was really ticked off. He was ticked off, which made me ticked off, okay? So he goes, okay. And I think he, he might have, you know, trying to been, kind of get a little cocky or whatever. My name is so-and-so, and, you know, you were doing that. And I said, thank you, and I'm sorry. And then I offered to give him a hug, and he goes, no, no hugs, no hugs. But this is, these are the kinds of little situations that we get in all the time and we have to constantly correct ourselves from the selfishness and realize that, you know, I don't think that guy's going to suddenly come to church and become my friend or anything like that. I'm not expecting some return from him. The reality is I shouldn't have overreacted. I should have just taken my foot off the accelerator, shut the engine off and said, hey man, sorry about that. Didn't, wasn't paying attention. And then walked across the street. No, I had to stand up for my rights is what I had to do. But I covered real well for it, right? And then there were these guys. Have you seen these guys that go around and they sell, uh, they sell uh, banana bread? Well, they don't sell it. It's like for a donation or whatever. So these guys had already come into the tavern. And to be honest with you, I was kind of covering and trying to hide from them. And then I'd done something that I thought was nice for that guy. So I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to buy some banana bread from these guys because then they were walking down. And then y'all had some banana bread. It was pretty good though, wasn't it? Those would be that. So I thought it was pretty good. But see, I'm looking out for the Lord to give me the reward. Say the Lord will give me the reward. So I'm not going to worry about getting the reward from the person that I'm offering the sacrificial love to. All right? And finally, um, you can even love an enemy, but you don't trust them. I already, I already said that. You got to be trust. You got to trust God and be wary of the stranger and the adversary. Jesus said, "Be wise as serpents." What? Be wise as serpents and what? And innocent as doves. And you should know if you will not love, then you do not follow Jesus, and you do not know God. That's what John said over in his little epistle. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Wow. God defines love. If I am unwilling to love my neighbor, my family member, my friend, my coworker, if I'm unwilling to act in their best interest, then I don't know God. 
because God is love and his love is going to be manifested in me, right? So full circle, receive God's love, receive the love of Jesus and give that love out. That's the kind of church I want us to be and that's the kind of life that I want for you.